He knows no fear. He knows no danger. He knows nothing. We are the SpyFi Guys, and this is Johnny Anklish. Hello and welcome back to the SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are back with another comedy spy parody movie. <laughs> yep, yep. So had you heard of this one before, Zach? Oh, yes, of course. I, I, mean, I guess heard I of talked it. about it briefly when we talked about Get, uh, Get Smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was but... aware that it existed, and looking up on IMDb, they made two sequels, which is shocking. Um, All right, interesting. Yeah, so I knew that it was Rowan Atkinson, a.k.a. Mr. Bean, as a James Bond parody, and I was curious to see, after... Literally 50 years of James Bond parodies going all the way back to In Like Flint mm-hmm. and other things like that, plus Austin Powers. I was curious how this movie was going to distinguish itself from all of them and how this character was going to distinguish himself from all of them. So what the, the one thing that this movie has that those movies did not was the writers are actually have written James Bond movies. Oh, really? Yeah, so it is... Um, ooh, what's their names? Let me find them. Uh, yeah, because oh, yes, I was uh, not able to tell that watching the movie. <laughs> oh, um, well, you're not the Bond expert. so. Uh-huh. You, but it's Neil Purvis and Robert Wade who've written every... In part, written every movie from World is Not Enough to No Time to Die. Huh. So both good ones and bad ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Usually the way it works is they'll do a draft and then someone else do a polish and they'll come back and do another draft. So they've been involved in some form or another for everything from since 1999. So they would really had at least uh, one movie. No, they had two movies under their belt because they would have had um, War Does Not Enough and Die Another Day under their belt before writing this one. Well, that kind of explains a lot. Okay, don't go bash. You, you know, feel free to bash you know die another day but do not bash world is not enough yeah it was all right i i actually was what i was gonna say was well what went wrong here but i guess it's kind of giving away what's going on with the movie all right so we're gonna get started with our plot synopses beginning with the poetry synopses okay i was gonna say i'm waiting for my poetry all right so here's the haiku agent one is dead crown jewels have been stolen johnny's the king (laughs) And here is the limerick. There once was a sidekick named Bob, whose boss kind of sucked at his job. But they dropped on the roof and discovered the truth, then foiled a royal French snob. Except his name's not Bob. What? It's Boff. I thought it was Bob. It's not Bob. It's (laughs) B-O-U-G-H. Boff. Whatever. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm I'm not rewriting the whole thing to make it rhyme. (laughs) And then here is the actual plot summary from imdb after a sudden attack on mi5 johnny english britain's most confident yet unintelligent spy becomes britain's only spy so there's not mi5 yeah it's too bad i kind of wish it was because mi5 is not usually the ones who are the subject of movies no they just have a long running tv show (laughs) but no it's not even mi6 it's mi7 a a well at least currently defunct branch of British intelligence. 
Mm-hmm. I remember ZJ speculating once that everything above MI6 was like the laundry services. <laughs> Something else I also think I'm going to be doing a lot in this movie, because we've recently did the tuxedo. Uh-huh. For those who are tuning in for the first time, go back a couple of episodes. And we talked about the tuxedo, which is another spy comedy. This one starring Jackie Chan and Jennifer Love Hewitt. So comparisons kept popping up in my mind, which may be unfair to Johnny English, but I think it's going to continue. Oh, I'm very curious. Oh, yeah. So MI7 was a branch. And, you know, maybe I'll save this for, I mean, I'll um, save this for Spy Fact First Fiction. No, I think I'll just do it now. It was a branch of the British War Office's Directorate of Military Intelligence with responsibilities for press liaison and propaganda. Oh, there you go. They definitely didn't have agents, I think it's safe no, to say. No, but also, if you go, go back to our episode on Dr. No, if you recall, when M is talking, he's overdubbed and says MI7 instead of MI6 because you they weren't officially allowed to acknowledge MI6 at that point, so they used MI7. Oh, I see. That's the only time that they've uh, used MI7 in James Bond. Obviously, you know they usually use, say, use MI6. So to this movie, we start in media res. We meet Johnny English, who's outside of a mansion. This mansion may look familiar to you because it is Wayne Manor from the Christopher Nolan movies. I'm sure that's not the only thing that it is. Oh, yeah. Many other things, I'm sure. But that was the one that was like, I know that building. Mm -hmm. So he's infiltrating this uh, mansion. He distracts the guard dogs by using little squishy toys. Mm -hmm. Drops in from the ceiling and takes out some guards. He is about to steal whatever he's stealing. When a woman comes up, he seduces the woman and he wakes up. It's all a daydream. Yes, that's right. A very realistic daydream. And then I occurred to me, what else this movie reminded me of, which is Get Smart. Yep. The Steve Carell and Hathaway movie where our protagonist also was working in intelligence, but was not a spy and wanted to be one. Mm-hmm. His assistant, Boff, not Bob, buff so i watched this movie without subtitles for a change because <laughs> comedies are better because subtitles give away the timing of the joke but I, I guess that leads to me mishearing things which actually leads me into the next thing i was going to say which okay. i understand that this is very old joke but i am not lying when i say when they were talking about agent one i honestly thought they were saying agent one like the name uh-huh seriously you look like you don't believe me but it's the truth it's just a bad joke. It's it's not a joke. It's it's, it's what I thought. Uh huh. A very British, very right. white British guy named Agent Wan. Yeah, maybe from a colony or something. I don't know. Anything's possible. Boff, uh, Johnny's assistant, wakes him up, and yes, Agent One is there to pick up his mission documents. He does the James Bond hat toss that we've seen Connery and uh, Roger Moore and. Lazenby all do, um, except he does it with a coat. That's right. And I also like how, like, literally 10 seconds later, he picks up the coat again. <laughs> well, it's to give that nod to the Bond franchise. I did appreciate that, you know, you know, a lot of people don't wear hats now, so they found a way to work that in without, you know, just having him wear the hat for the sake of having, doing the hat toss. For a joke, yeah. Yeah. And he also, of course, reminds me of, from the tuxedo, Jason Isaac's character. Hmm. I'm going to try to not do that through this whole episode, but it it kept happening. Uh Johnny gives him the mission document, says he checked the submarine codes himself. And smash cut to 
uh, a t- text on screen that says Agent 1 was killed in action. The submarine hatch failed to open. And we have a funeral for Agent 1. And all of the agents are, ra- are around the coffin. And Johnny and Boff are in charge of security for this whole thing. Which, for some, some reason, but it actually makes sense that like they yeah. have a behind-the-scenes job. Mm-hmm. So I was okay with that. Wait, wait, what, why were you initially not okay with it? Well, I was just curious why they were getting involved with the situation. I mean, they still work for MI7. They're the admin people. So, of course, it's exactly what they would do. It speaks to a larger issue with the movie of Johnny English being incompetent at a lot of things, and yet is still inexplicably put in positions where people's lives are at stake. But we can't really get into that. We have a reason why. And we'll get to it in about one second. As as they're all mourning, all of the agents are killed. Because the coffin explodes. Okay, so do you remember for the Prisoner episode? All the way back in the Swing and 60 Summer, we did the Prisoner. Yep. So do you remember the, for the Spy Fact versus Fiction where we talked about the number six special workshop school? Also no. known as the Forgetting School. Nope. Okay, so... Basically, in short, it was a place for agents who couldn't do the job, but knew too much to just be let out into the world. Okay. Okay. And I said at the time, you can go back and listen, why isn't this the subject of a movie? All the real agents die. They have to get all the incompetent ones. And it's like a comedy. And that's exactly what this movie did. I feel like I probably said something back then about Johnny English. It's entirely possible. PM uh, says that, you know, he wants something or someone on whatever Agent 1 was after. And Pegasus, who's the MI7 boss, says, there's no one left. <laughs> they all died in the explosion. <laughs> PM's like, really? Yeah. No one's like, well, there is one. Dun, 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 dun. But I don't know. I, I don't want to be like like a stick in the mud about but this. But you premise. will. Well, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like... I don't seem to recall you having as big a problem with this premise, which is basically the same one as Get Smart five years earlier. Well, I don't remember what happened with Get Smart. All of their identities got leaked, and so they had to promote him. Right, but he passed the test, right? It took multiple attempts to pass the test, but he ultimately did. I remember talking about that. I I just feel like for Johnny English, maybe it would have worked a little better if they had done something similar, but Uh whatever. Because I was like, well, why is he being made an agent? He's not an agent. He's an administration. I understand it's a stupid comedy. <laughs> I will give you comedy. I will not give you stupid. Uh, okay. Well, we'll remember that when we talk about the poo joke later. <laughs> so we go to our title sequence. This is, the song here is A Man for All Seasons by Robbie Williams. Uh, I've got some little, nice little nods here. Like, in, you know, he's off. he goes to the armor. He's offered a PPK or a Beretta at 92F. Obviously, PPK is what James Bond used. He refuses it, gets a Beretta. He has uh-huh. the Aston Martin. And then my favorite bit in this is that, you know, he's walking through, you know, the MI7 offices, very confident. And then you quickly realize that he's lost because he goes through multiple corridors back and forth at the same time, like over and over again. Like, wait, where am I going? Yeah, it's an old joke, but it checks out. I also I... really liked the theme song. Oh, I love this song. It's so good. Yeah. So Robbie Williams is a you know UK artist. He also did a uh, song called Millennium back around in the like late nineties, early two thousands, which borrows or blatantly steals the riff from You Only Live Twice. Mm-hmm. And he's a Bond fan because his like music video for that was all you know using all the Bond tropes, including like you know the, the DB five and everything and stuff like that. So yeah, he's a Bond fan, so it might make sense that he did the theme here. Mm-hmm. But he finally finds the office. He's meeting with Pegasus. He tries the coat toss, 
that Agent One did. Throws his coat out the window. That reminded me of, like the naked gun or like airplane. I was thinking there to be like a like a vase crash sound effect, then people going. Ah! There was well, what there was was a car screeching sound effect. Oh yeah, there there you go. He tries to flirt with Pegasus's secretary. Uh, accidentally doses her with a pen tranquilizer. Why would they have a pen tranquilizer on a desk? Makes no sense to me, but okay. This also was very naked gun, I, sh- I should yeah. say, too. It's totally something Frank Drebin would do. <laughs> so he meets with Pegasus. Apparently there's a plot to steal the crown jewels, and the restoration of the jewels is sponsored by Pascal Sauvage, who's a French guy related to the royal family. And they are unveiling the uh, crown jewels after the restoration tonight and pegasus wants johnny at the tower of london for security i feel like for any other movie the theft of the crown jewels themselves would be the major conflict mm-hmm. yeah. but not this one yeah, no no I, I mean i we, we'll we'll see where it goes so we go to the tower of london johnny's in black tie he meets the head of security snipers on the rooftops bulletproof windows he goes and mingles with the guests and sees an attractive woman, Lorna Campbell, who worked on the restoration. He asks a waiter who's in a you know white tuxedo jacket for a drink. And as they're talking, Pascal Sauvage, played by John Malkovich, arrives also wearing a white tuxedo jacket. And Johnny mistakes him for a waiter, inadvertently assault, insults him. Yeah, my note is he makes an ass of himself, which he will continue to do throughout the movie. So John Malkovich is great. His French accent is like absurd. I love it's it. Hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I really quite enjoyed Johnny making fun of the French, even though I'm not the biggest <laughs> fan of the cringe humor, which this movie is a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? How do you feel I about mean, cringe so humor? Do you like The Office? So here's the thing, though. I feel like British cringe humor is different than American cringe humor. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you had more of the. I'm trying to remember. Did you have more of that cringe humor in Get Smart? With the there Steve was Crow a bit, connection? yes. Yeah. Well, and I'm not talking cringe of like someone getting hurt. I mean, like yeah, somebody no, embarrassing themselves, right? This was less of that. Like, like I mean, even the British Office has it's more cringy than this. Like, this is just, you know, this is a classic. You know, you, I'm talking about this person. They're right behind me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed the mistaking him for a waiter bit, and mm-hmm. I, and I have how afterwards he's like, no, he insists that you know, no, no, obviously, let me get you your cheesy niblets. You know, the French are obviously, you know, fantastic waiters. Well, yeah, it is interesting also because Malkovich or Savage, I should say, yeah. is more like mature and like composed than uh-huh. our hero, who we're supposed to sympathize with. So that's uh-huh. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, he doesn't stay that way. <laughs> no, so. We have, a, you know, Sauvage making a big speech about the uh, about the crown jewels and someone cuts the power as this is happening. The jewels get secured in the tube mm-hmm. and Johnny knocks out who he thinks is an assailant but is actually the head of security. As this is going on, Lorna runs off and Johnny, once he realizes he knocked out the head of security, fakes a fight. Yes, and... I don't know how I feel about this. It is kind of funny. It goes on too long, which I remember is a criticism I've made of other comedies. Uh-huh. Have you watched much Mr. Bean? Not a, f- a few. Not a lot, though. Yeah. So this is the thing in Mr. Bean where he gradually gets deeper and deeper over his head <laughs> and cannot extract himself. 
Yeah, actually, that that checks out with the bits, the like few of the skits that I have seen. Yeah. Yeah. Except Mr. Bean doesn't talk, which makes right, it a lot right. funnier. And that's why he's so popular internationally, because you can send him to any universal. country. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Same with the Three Stooges. I enjoyed the bit where he like gets the you know, bit of ketchup and like puts it on his lip right. as if it's blood. Yeah, it just keeps doubling down over yeah. and over. <laughs> so after he fakes the fight and pretends that he won and then closes the door, he opens up the tube where the uh, crown jewels are secured just as the queen arrives and the jewels are gone. Yep. So Johnny gets a dressing down from Pegasus the and uh, the assailant that Johnny you know, had faked fighting was of course nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. So they bring in a guy to work up a, a drawing or a photo of the um, assailant based on Johnny's description, which is of course horrifying looking. It's you know red hair, an yeah. eye patch, completely implausible. But I did think it was funny. Like I did laugh a banana at it. on right. both cheeks. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's like again, like I mentioned, Mister Bean he keeps doubling down. But here's the thing. Unfortunately, I'm going to be a little bit of a stick in the mud here. Do you oh, really? find Johnny English to be a sympathetic protagonist? Mm, yes and no. Okay. Here, not so much. Later on, yes. Yeah. We get to learn a bit more about him, but these initial impressions I mean, this are... this part, it's more yeah. I'm laughing at him, really. Well, sure. But, I mean, but you can laugh at people and still have them be sympathetic. Mm. So, like, Steve Carell and Get Smart, I found him sympathetic because he wanted to be an agent and he wanted... The excitement where it seems like Johnny English is kind of more about like himself. It's like about getting the hot girl. And in order to accomplish that, he's willing to be dishonest. Right. So that's not so sympathetic. Uh, so we have Johnny and Buff driving back to the tower. We find out that Aston got some gadgets by pulling up a secret panel. Johnny arrives at the tower and, you know, is theorizing how the thieves got in mm -hmm. as he's standing in front of a giant hole in the ground. <laughs> Okay, so how did you feel about this? I I thought that was funny. I like I that that is his that's his shtick is like he's gonna go on is it was obviously it wasn't this and he's completely mm -hmm. oblivious to the thing that's in the room, right? So he sends Boff in to to uh, investigate the hole. Who gets stuck? I do find it funny that he's the big action hero and he makes his underling do the dangerous <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. So. Boff gets stuck, and then Johnny goes in. They both fall down the hole. It's pitch black. He mm. tries to use a method of echolocation by singing the key of E-flat and saying, mm. thank you for the music by ABBA. This is, like, so absurd. <laughs> like, where does he even come up with this stuff? Who knows? But I enjoy Like, this is another thing. It's like, all right, what is with these comedies and ABBA? Because if you recall, Get Smart, when he's on his way to the office, Steve Crow's mm. listening to... Uh, Take a Chance on Me by ABBA. I mean, everybody likes ABBA. That's true. Everyone does like ABBA. Mama Mia made all the money. Did. All right. So they find an exit through a secure sewer gate. They see the goons loading the jewels into the hearse. Wow, that's great. It's been like 18 hours <laughs> since and the heist. And they've there, been like gone right? anywhere. <laughs> they take them by surprise. I definitely talked about this in the Get Smart episode about how, you know, I mm -hmm. it was interesting to see, you know, Johnny... Or, or Steve Carell's character, Maxwell Smart, actually shooting and killing people. Whereas this movie, mm. Johnny never kills a single person, never gets his gun to work properly, ever. That does help make him sympathetic. Yeah. That's right. Got them at gunpoint, and then his mag the magazine of his gun falls out. Mm -hmm. Boff never has issues with his gun, but Johnny is constantly having issues with his gun. 
Yeah, because he's like incompetent is the idea. They have a gunfight. The hearse drives away. Also, a woman on a pink motorcycle arrives. Mm-hmm. And as they're about to chase after the hearse in the Aston, we see that the Aston is getting towed. So they commandeer the tow truck. Yeah, I thought this was a good joke. I thought it was funny. It's obviously not fast enough, so Johnny gets into the Aston and has Boff swing him out and lower him. Yeah, except it takes like 15 minutes. It takes a long time for them to finally get it going. Well, I like the bit where, you know, he is lowering him and the car is going to be driving in the opposite direction. And like, it's close enough that you see the wheels on the Aston spin as the as the car goes underneath it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a and good stunt in a movie you wouldn't yeah. expect that from. And I also enjoyed the uh, the, the parking ticket, uh, like, camera. Oh, yes. Bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so when he finally gets him lowered, accidentally lowers him down onto a flatbed, which is taken off at a wrong exit. Mm-hmm. That's also a good joke. And he does my favorite car move, the 180 reverse turn. <laughs> By this point, you know, they kind of lost him, but Johnny sees a hearse and follow, follows it into a cemetery. And this is definitely the cringiest part of the movie. <laughs> yes. There were some things that I thought was funny, though. I wasn't cringing the whole time. Well, like yeah. the coffin stuff where he like, climbs on the na, coffin. Na, 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 yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, so there's a funeral going on. Johnny accuses all of all the grieving people of being in on it. Mm-hmm. And realizes his mistake when, to the guys, like, who do you play in this all of us? He's like, I'm the hearse driver. You're the hearse driver. And it's clearly not either of the two goons. Oh, that is how he figured it out? Yeah. Nice. Once he realizes that, thankfully Boff comes in and claims that Johnny is an escape mental patient and, mm. you know, recaptures him. Yeah, not the most politically correct uh, joke. <laughs> but I also like when Johnny is the butt of the joke. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They <laughs> run out of there because obviously they've screwed up massively. Right. So we see that Savage has the jewel. So this basically, you know, ends any intro or any question of whether or not he's actually behind it. He explains that 200 years ago, his family was passed over for the throne, but mm-hmm. in the f- a few days, it'll be back in his hands. So you requested that we did this movie because there's about to be a coronation in real life. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on exactly when this episode drops, I guess. Well, at time of recording, it has not happened yet. I think it'll drop after the actual coronation happens. All right. So the goons point out that they need the Archbishop of Canterbury to make him king. Uh, but they have someone who will double the Archbishop. With the use of a mask. And now I suddenly see why Christian likes this movie. <laughs> the goons point out, and go, what about English? You know, he keeps popping up. And Sauvage apparently had English's flat bugged. And we get some embarrassing footage of him. Mm-hmm. shows them that he's no actual threat. Or it's certainly someone pretending to be an agent, yeah. not an actual agent. So Boff has identified the two goons. They're both convicted felons who work now work for Sauvage. Pegasus dismisses his theory and wants Johnny and Boff nowhere near him and tells them that uh, Pegasus will be going to a reception hosted by Sauvage that night. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Johnny ignores this order, and right. requisitions a military plane, parachutes, bodysuits, and MI7 signet rings. This is exactly what we would expect from him. And I like that there's all these gadgets. That is nice. They actually do stuff. Yeah. So they pass by the MI7 mechanic under a car in the garage, quickly realize it's not the mechanic. They have a gunfight. This time, the slide of Johnny's gun falls off when he pulls the trigger. Mm-hmm. Something always does. Yeah. 
They try to sneak up on the goon. Boff almost gets them, but Johnny takes off Boff by mistake in the parking yeah. lot. There's also a long joke about hand signals, which is so old. And it goes on <laughs> too long, but yeah. Well, remember this movie's like 20 years old. Right. Uh, so as they drive away, Johnny sees the pink motorcycle and follows it. Uh, sees it parked outside of a sushi restaurant where Lorna is inside. Johnny yes. joins her. He mispronounces sushi. He pronounces it sushi. Uh-huh. Trying to be sophisticated, yeah. just like our, we would expect. Johnny says that there's no record of Lorna on any government computers. She quickly distracts him by trying to get him to eat sea urchin, which mm-hmm. he is disgusted by, and then she leaves. This was a classic, like, Mr. Bean thing. Like, the the Uh big reaction to the food and then his tie getting stuck in the conveyor belt. Uh It was a a good joke. I am reminded of when the movie Dumb and Dumberer came out. I never saw it. So someone had an observation that when a character is young and dumb, it's funny. But when they're old and dumb, it's, like, pathetic. Hmm. So (laughs) Rowan Atkinson looks pretty old in this movie, unfortunately. So I don't know if the Mr. Bean shtick works quite as well as maybe it mm. did before. So we sc- cut to them on the military plane. Johnny and Boff are running through their plan. Their target is the is Savage's building next to the city hospital. You can see where this is going. As soon as they said that, you knew what was going to happen. <laughs> They're going to land on opposite sides of the building. Boff will disable the alarm while Johnny breaks into Savage's office. And Johnny refuses the laser beacon, which would guide him to the building, and instead relies on a map he has. Yeah, because he's proud. This is also a part where a Sony Vio makes a product placement appearance. <laughs> yep. So Boff lands, repels down, cuts through the window, and then Johnny lands, repels down. Boff disables the security, and Johnny goes in, surveils the building, finds a patient who says that they've taken some of my blood. Oh, yeah, this, this was kind of funny. Takes some hostages and... Mm-hmm. Demands to know where Savage's office is. And once he says that, they all point to the building next door. Yeah. <laughs> where Boff can also see him in the window wondering what's going on. I'm looking very befuddled. So which Mission Impossible was it where he did the swing from oh, one building to another? Mission Impossible 3. 3? Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. So Boff lets him into the right building on the stairwell. They get up to the office floor. But actually, before he goes up, this is where you first I have a first you know sympathy for Johnny. Because you can oh, see yeah. he's like he's like out on the street and he's like, can't believe how much he's screwed up here. I think we've all had that feeling, right? Where you realize <laughs> you've screwed up monumentally and it's not mm-hmm. a good feeling. Yeah. So Boff lets him into the building. They get up to the office floor. One of the goons gets the drop on Johnny. But Johnny uses the signet ring, which has a muscle relaxant inside a little pinprick inside of the ring. Mm-hmm. So I think somewhere around here, yep. I had the thought where I was like, is this movie supposed to be like Don Quixote? Or is it supposed mm-hmm. to be like Big Trouble in Little China? Have you seen that? No, I've not, actually. Well, it's a great movie. And what's interesting about it is the guy you think is the hero, the one Uh who is like the giant muscles and he's really charismatic and all the women love him, is actually the sidekick. And his sidekick is actually the hero. So you're saying Boff is the real hero? That's what I thought the movie was trying (laughs) to do. And then it turned out it did not follow through. I mean, Boff is the more competent of the two. (laughs) Right. But a sidekick, he remains. Yeah. They see someone in the mask of the Archbishop of, Can- of Canterbury, who mm. they also they see that he has a tattoo on his butt that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. 
Yes, a very large, obvious tattoo. So they find the office and accidentally activate a DVD player, which shows uh, Sauvage talking about his plan to use the power of the crown to seize control of all the lands. And as, mm-hmm. before they find out more, the other goon finds them, and Johnny uses the other signet ring, which has a truth serum in it. They demand to know what Sauvage's plan is, and he's starting to talk, but then he starts talking in gibberish. And right. clearly, Johnny got the two rings mixed up. Right. Yeah, the, the gibberish is funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, classic Johnny English. Johnny also gets nicked by the muscle relaxant, so he's talking gibberish as well. Mm-hmm. And a couple more goons get the drop on them, but they are rescued by Lorna, who reveals that she's Interpol. And apparently every major convict re- released from a Sauvage prison, which I guess we never talked about how that's where Sauvage makes his money, is he owns a bunch of prisons. <laughs> wow, the prison industrial complex, so relevant. <laughs> but yeah, every major convict who has been released from one of Sauvage's prisons has in turn been hired by him. So there could be some major criminal conspiracy. Yeah. They go to the first guard, who they had thought they'd given the muscle relaxant, but actually gave the truth serum to, ask him how to get out of the building without being seen. And he like answers and is like, wait, why did I just tell you that? Yeah. So they go up to the floor where Pegasus uh, is at the reception. And they've got fancy clothes under their jumpsuits for a like classic like James Bond reveal. Yeah, like, was it Thunderball? Goldfinger. Or is it Goldfinger? Yeah. Johnny is still under the influence of the muscle relaxant at this reception the band that's playing here is a string quartet called uh-huh. bond okay <laughs> it's a little obvious they're a british um yeah female all-female string quartet who plays they do like covers of like classical music but like sort of rock, rock inspired and they actually have uh-huh. a cover of the james bond theme called bond on bond all right which nice. I is how I discovered them because I happened mm-hmm. to be on a long airplane flight. I think it's New York City from Hawaii, and I'm flipping through. This is back when you know you would have music on the planes, not no screens, just the music that you could and listen you'd actually to. use it. <laughs> I was like, I'm so bored right now. Let me just flip through, and then I heard as I'm flipping through the things, I hear a very, very familiar, you know, I was like, right. wait a minute. That's a James Bond thing. And I, I, so I went to my Sky Mall magazine and looked mm-hmm. at what all the different channels are. Like, well, who's playing this James Bond thing? Oh, okay. Let me listen to more of their stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of this band. And it's nice. funny that they've they've done this. They're also in Triple X State of the Union. So they've been in Bond, like, mm-hmm. uh, parodies or, you know, spinoffs. Never an actual yeah. Bond film. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. Anyway, so... Johnny and Lorna are dancing, um, and he's, you know, obviously still kind of wonky. Yeah. Yeah. Savage is told by one of his goons what has happened. And Johnny, you know, again gets dressed down by Pegasus, taken off the case off the case. Off the case. It's like you're gonna say that in an Australian accent. Yeah, I was I don't know where that was coming from. <laughs> his security ca- uh, clearance is canceled and he had a three month leave of absence and then back to his old job. Mm-hmm. And Lorna, you know, sees him walking away, dejected. And, of course, it's when it starts raining. Yeah, this is funny. It was so over the top. Like, the sad music and then the <laughs> rain. It's like something out of uh, Spies in Disguise. <laughs> so, Sauvage now has to go to Plan B. So, they get rid of the fake Archbishop. They throw the mask in the fireplace. Mm-hmm. And instead, they pay a visit to the Queen. And they're 
going to make her abdicate by threatening one of the corgis at gunpoint. That was also pretty funny, even <laughs> though it doesn't make any sense. Because if it's the real queen, then yeah. where are all of her like relatives? What do you mean? Why didn't they? If she abdicates, then why not okay. Charles or Did the kids? Not, so she, the goon says abdicate so that new, neither you or none of your heirs. Oh, so they had that covered. They do okay. have it covered, yes. All right, got it. So the PM is called, and when I say PM, the Prime Minister, yep. just to be clear, is called in the middle of the night to be informed that the Queen has abdicated for her and all the rest of her line. <laughs> and the, P, uh, the PM visits Sauvage, who tells him that he's actually the closest living relative, because we said his family was passed over 200 years ago. Also, very conveniently, the Crown Jewels have just been returned to a police station. <laughs> Yeah, which is like, why did they steal them again? I don't even remember. Well, it was because that was plan A. They'll have uh -huh. someone the faking being the Archbishop of Canterbury. Oh, yeah. With the crown jewels, crown him king. Yeah, that is funny that they actually go to a plan B, which is actually a different plan. So Lorna goes to Johnny's flat. She tells him that it's her case now and... That Sauvage has invited 13 of the world's richest criminal masterminds to his villa in France. And he's obviously up to something. Mm -hmm. He's still dejected, just wants to stay in his flat and do nothing. Yeah, he refuses the call. Yep. She throws a couple of strikes at him to show that he's not a complete idiot. He can actually defend himself. Mm -hmm. And actually gets him to go. So they drive to France and the Aston. And we see that the UK is making preparations for the coronation. New money, new stamps. I thought the money was funny. I thought that was a good joke. That they're like already printing money with his face on it. So Lorna and Johnny stop for dinner at a small restaurant in France. They have a personal talk. We find out that Lorna's fiance left her three years ago. And oh, that she God. sees the past the idiot that everyone else sees in Johnny. And then Johnny inadvertently screws up his chance with her. This is so awkward. <laughs> There's a lot of cringy stuff in this movie. This was this was cringe. yeah. All right, I'll give you this one. Yeah, like as the kids say, it was really bad. Especially because like at least with Austin Powers, Austin Powers doesn't understand social cues because he's from the past. I really don't see what's appealing about Johnny English. <laughs> <laughs> they arrive at Sauvage's villa. Johnny mm. finds a pipe to go up, and it's a sewage pipe. But Lorna finds a, a ladder conveniently just right around the corner. Going up the bathroom, which is uh -huh. a communal all-at-once bathroom. Well, it's like a castle. Yeah. Uh, big flush. Lorna finds him covered in poop. Throws him in right. a shower. Yeah. You still think the movie's not dumb, Christian? I mean, okay. It's a comedy. Yes. And they don't linger on the point. Like, there are other comedies which are just, you know, would, would linger on that a lot longer. Yeah, I actually kind of appreciate that Lorna reacts to how badly he smells and then they uh -huh. clean him off. Like, yeah. it isn't just he's running around covered in poop yeah. for the rest of the movie or something like that. No. Yeah. So Savage is, is in, you know, in his villa making his big villain speech. He's going to uh -huh. turn all of England into a prison and he's going to seize the, all of the lands with the power of the crown. And Johnny and Lorna overhear this plan. Savage is offering one of the criminals 49% of the enterprise. And Johnny and Lorna are planning how they're going to overtake Savage and his men, accidentally activate an intercom. So Savage hears the entire plan. This was also from the Naked Gun, they did this. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, where Frank Drebin had his microphone on accidentally, and it was very embarrassing. Also, a commentary on his prison plan. Yeah. I was like, oh, is he a uh, prison abolitionist? Turns out not so much. <laughs> no, no, But then I was like, why would you turn the UK into a prison when Australia exists? Huh, because it's closer, and because he can... <laughs> and it's smaller. He, he has the ability to, to do actually it. do it, whereas right. opposed to Australia. <laughs> so Johnny ejects the CD with the intent of, you know showing off that plan to as proof but grabs the wrong one and then gets surrounded and Lorna gets captured too. Mm-hmm. Johnny tries to actually shoot Savage but his yeah. gun is jammed with poop. Lucky for the bodyguards cuz their boss would have just been dead. Right. Well yeah, so yet again another time where his gun just is not working. I hadn't actually noticed that that was the thing that carries out through the movie. So yep, that was yep. a good observation. So it is now the day of the coronation, Thursday. Johnny and Laura are tied up. Johnny is trying another one of his, you know, folklore things where if a whistle that will unlock the door at just the right frequency. Yeah. What did you think about this? I was like, dude, the fate of the country's at stake. Stop trying to show off. I think he actually believes that things like this could work. It's not a lie if you actually believe it. Yeah. Yeah. But he also is out they're out of options, so you know what he's just gonna go for broke. Okay. I don't think he's showing off. I think he's trying uh-huh. to do something. It's just not a great idea. I also like at this part where they're doing a whole thing of pre- preparing for the coronation and the BBC guy or the news guy is like, Call in and tell us things you like about the French and like nobody's calling. <laughs> yep, yep. Johnny's trying the whistle. Uh Lorna thinks that's failed. Yes. But Buff actually rescues him, and he went up the sewage drain. Just like his boss. Yep. So they all drive back to London. The coronation is in full swing. People are watching all over the world. Sauvage is processing in, and Johnny knocks out the bishop from England. So we have the bishops from England, Ireland, and Scotland. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, so not Ireland. Wales, Wales. That's right. I also like the, all the stereotypes watching it on TV. <laughs> yep, yep. The American stereotypes, yeah. Australian stereotypes, yeah. Yeah. Knocks out the bishop from England, takes his place, and there's a part where, you know, the bishops are all asked by the Archbishop of Canterbury, and you know, do you accept that? For, for Scotland, I do. For Wales, mm-hmm. I do. And then Johnny says, for England, I do not, and, you know, throws off the cloak. Mm-hmm. Savage actually lets him speak. This is a this was like <laughs> interesting. He's so overconfident. Yeah. Well, he knows Johnny English at this point. He That's knows true. he's going to screw up somehow. He tries to expose the archbishop as being a fake by taking off a mask. Mm-hmm. Savage actually warns him and says, "You know, don't go there." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even Savage has some sympathy for his antagonist. <laughs> so this scene is actually really impressive because there's a lot of payoffs. Uh-huh. From setups like like yep. the Jesus tattoo, and stuff like Which that, Which is obviously not there because this is the real Archbishop of Canterbury, right? Also, as is going on, Lauren is taking care of the sniper dude, just like Scotty and Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered <laughs> yeah. Country. Yep, yep. Tattoo is not there, so when this fails, he sells Boff to play the DVD. It's and it is not right. The, <laughs> it is not the uh, plan that Savage had. It is instead the surveillance footage of Johnny put to. Another ABBA song, Does Your Mother mm. Know? I have a note here. This has definitely been the most interesting coronation in probably <laughs> all of British history. As this is going on, Johnny is tries to make a quick exit, and Savage is trying to move things along and gets the archbishop to you know start giving him the scepter, 
and is about to crown him with the crown when Johnny swings from a rope to grab the crown before it goes on Savage's head. Mm-hmm. At this point, and the that, audience is laughing, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not the people in the church, but... But all the international audience, yes. Yes. At which point, Sauvage is fed up, grabs a gun from an ankle holster, mm-hmm. and tries to shoot Sauvage. At this point this is when people realize, no, no, he is completely unhinged. Yeah, he loses it. He goes on a rant about against the English and says, you know, you could have just sit, sat and waited your turn, but <laughs> no, you you really couldn't. And John, you know, keeps trying to shoot Johnny. Johnny drops the crown, and mm-hmm. the Archbishop grabs it and is about to crown Sauvage when Johnny drops in and instead gets crowned king. <laughs> Very amusing, and I'm sure that's definitely how it works. Yep. And as this happened, he te- he's now been crowned king and tells the guards to arrest Savage. I'm surprised he didn't say seize him. Yeah. Seems like kind of an obvious, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny meets with the queen, and she has been rightfully restored. And mm-hmm. Johnny is rewarded a knighthood. Johnny and Lorna drive off and are about to have a romantic moment when he hits the eject button on the Aston by accident. So I haven't been bringing up the tuxedo as much during this recap as I was expecting, yeah. but this is one part that reminded me a lot of the tuxedo. Which part? The end? This very Yeah, the ending, because it's like, let's give our hero a moment of catharsis. <laughs> like, then... he's earned a good thing. Let's just let him have it. But instead, we have <laughs> one last joke at his expense. Now, did you, I'm going to assume... You did not watch for another few seconds for the, not even mid, but like early credits scene. You're correct. There is a scene where Lorna lands in a pool mm-hmm. where Buff has, happens to be like poolside and mm-hmm. like looking very British touristy with like, you know, the sunscreen on like his nose and cheeks. Right. And also uh, next to him is a guy who looks like the fake assailant from earlier with the red frizzy hair, the eye patch and the, Oh wow. Another, another good payoff. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. I should have told you that there's a scene in the credits. Yeah. Probably that would be a good move going forward. Yeah. But yeah, with that, our movie ends. Yeah. But these old movies, I don't often expect mid credit scenes. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So now it is time for our spy fact versus fiction. I guess I could go first. I have a little bit, but I suspect we're going to have a lot of overlap. Okay, so the movie says all you need to do is be sitting there at the exact moment in order to become the king or queen. And this is not the case. Of course. My source is how does Britain's royal succession work from Uh CBS.com? So in this latest succession, the only one in any of our lifetimes, I suspect. Well, maybe not ours. Charles, long known as the Prince of Wales, officially became king the moment the queen passed away. Yep. Now, in this movie, she abdicates, but presumably it would be the same thing. Yes, if I recall, uh, when uh, King Edward? Yeah, King Edward VIII ruled without ever being formally crowned. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, but no, once he... But he abdicated to marry the American Wallace Simpson. And Mm -hmm. as soon as he abdicated, King George, who is Elizabeth's father, became king. Okay. So it's pretty much instantaneous, yeah. Yeah, so you don't need to be the one person sitting in the chair to get. Yeah. That being said, there is a, kind of a lot of like things that happen with something called the Privy Council, where they recognize the new monarch on behalf of the government, but mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. So then yeah. there's also a part where Savage says, there hasn't been a French king of England since 1066. Uh-huh. You remember this part? Yes, so I do. I looked that up, and that king was William I, 
also known as William the William. Conqueror uh-huh. or William the Bastard or William of Normandy. So ah. long story short, according to Britannica.com, he conquered England, the Norman Conquest, and on Christmas Day 1066, he was crowned king in Westminster Abbey. What I have, I've got a few other things. So I was curious about this whole, can the queen actually seize any land she wants to? Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't get a definitive answer. Um, I looked, the ones that would pop up were on like Quora. Mm. Uh, the, you know, ask yeah, a question. And people, yeah. yeah. And so people, have, what it said is basically bringing up William the Conqueror again. When he conquered England in twenty year war, he replaced Anglo Saxon war with a new concept. The king, as a person personification of the state appointed by God, ro- owns the whole country. Mm-hmm. William seized all the lands of the Anglo Saxon lords and redistributed them among his supporters, but only so long as they he was pleased with them. So if they made alliances with his enemies or pissed him off, he could take it away again. And that uh. principle still holds in theory. But of course, this is uh, you know, on Quora, so it's not a definitive answer i did find other things that you know are interesting you know rules about the royal family for example uh-huh. british monarch can't be arrested or the subject subject of civil and criminal proceedings huh. and this is from insider.com okay they also don't have to be obey legal speed limits but only when they're driven by police on official royal duties oh that's good that's important they also don't have to use a passport to travel Oh. Nor are they required to have a driver's license. <laughs> I, I guess royalty has its privileges. Yeah. And here's an interesting one. While regular grandparents have to go through the courts if they want custody of their grandchildren, the monarch has automatic legal custody of all of their descendants and minor grandchildren. It almost would be easier to say the monarch can do like basically whatever they want, except for yeah. a few All right. Lastly, two more things. They're exempt from paying taxes in certain instances. Although Queen Elizabeth did still make voluntary payments, and they are also able to skip out on jury duty. (laughs) Man, that would be a trip if they had to do that. All right, so that's what I have regarding weird royalty rules. So the another thing I had was about echolocation for humans. Now (laughs) he tried, you know, the whole thing about singing in E flat, not quite accurate. However, according to Wikipedia. There is, you know, other ways that they can actually do it by sensing mm-hmm. echoes from those objects. One of the more obvious ones is tapping a cane or, you know, stomping your foot. But another way that people do it is click by making a clicking noise with their mouth. Uh-huh. And people can be trained to orient the echolocation by interpreting the sound waves reflected by nearby objects, identifying ac- accurately identifying their lo- location and size. So, nice. you know, real world daredevil. But what about like breaking locks and stuff? The well, that was a different. Those were different monks who would figure <laughs> that. I didn't find anything about whistling to, uh-huh. you know, get you know, at a right frequency. Yeah, fair enough. So next thing I have is about sea urchins. Mm-hmm. Now that's a deep cut. <laughs> Johnny is put off by the sea urchin because he's told by Lorna that it feeds through its bottom. Now mm-hmm. this is according to the as a blog called Corner of Natural Curiosities. This and it specifically calls out Johnny English, saying this is false. <laughs> is their sea urchins consist of a somewhat spherical body covered in spines. In most species, the mouth is on the lower or bottom surface of the. Hmm. So it's <laughs> whereas its anus is actually on the top of the organism. So it's just 
upside down. So it doesn't actually feed through its butt, like you yeah. know, Lorna says. It's something towards the bottom of yeah, its whatever. body. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just feeds from the bottom of its body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was false. I've also had sea urchin in sushi. It's called uni. It's delicious. And uh-huh. Yeah. I, <laughs> One of the uh, sushi restaurants around here, which I love to go to, that the sushi chef's specialty is uni. Nice. All right. Lastly, I've got, so you kind of covered about that it doesn't take sitting in the chair and being crowned to be, you know, crowned king. Also, you don't need to have a coronation, like you said, and coronations are generally a a big intensive thing to plan. Mm Mm-hmm. So it would take like so it months. <laughs> it, I mean, yeah, it's usually somewhere around a year afterwards, usually. Mm. So it would not happen on the next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's a comedy movie, so yeah. there you go. Oh, yeah. So for example, uh, let's see. This is from Wikipedia. The time of coronation has varied throughout British, British history. King Edgar's coronation was some fifteen years after his ascension. <laughs> Harold II was crowned on the day uh, after the death of his predecessor so actually could happen that fast hmm. William I was crowned the day he became king Elizabeth Elizabeth I, oh, who we talked about previously consulted her astrologer John Dee before deciding on an auspicious date hmm. yeah John Dee he's like the magic guy right yep. like oh, the, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah George VI was crowned five months after his ascension oh that's interesting <laughs> so there was actually Basically, it would have been when Edward the Eighth was coronated, so they just kept the same date. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, all right, and that's what I got for spy fact versus spy fiction. Okay, uh, so next we have our favorite quotes. A very quippy movie. So why don't you go first? Because I have all right. a lot. I've got two. As far as I'm concerned, the only thing the French should be allowed to host is an invasion. Oh, got them. They're never going to live that down, are they? <laughs> Lastly. I've been dropped into the Kalahari Desert carrying nothing more than a toothbrush and a packet of sherbet lemons, and I still managed to find my way to Bulawayo before Ramadan. That's like that quote by uh, Tom Cruise from Night and Day where he's like, I've disarmed something with a junior man or whatever. And a paperclip, yep. (laughs) So I am amazed that you did not do my favorite quote, my favorite part from the movie, where after going through the sewer... Oh, Johnny yes. English says, oh, now pull yourself together. It's only a bit of poo. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Never let <laughs> okay. it be said. Wait. I am not above a, a shit joke. You were, weren't you the one who was going on about how, how the, the humor was stupid about yeah. poo? And yet you that's your favorite quote? It's not like I never find stupid humor funny. <laughs> it's just uh, the way he said it. And I don't know. It all just came all together. Right, I thought it was great. Right, yeah. I also like when he says later, I'm a spent force. <laughs> when he's in, in despair. Uh, when the queen says, oh, where are the jewels? Oh, oh, where are the jewels? And then finally, I like when he's holding up everybody at the hospital. And he says, and you, you angels of death <laughs> to the nurses. So, so here's my question for you. Because actually, uh-huh. I'm surprised I'm the only one who had any. What do you think about the French jokes? Well, I like being in front of the French as much as anybody else. They were kind of a lot. I appreciated that it wasn't because this is still, well, post nine eleven. But mm-hmm. it, but I guess you know if this was an American movie, it would have been much more about their you know cheese cheese eating surrender monkeys. I mean, maybe they did have that one about hosting an invasion. Yeah, I know it's hard to say. I appreciated that it wasn't all about how you know French are cowards or anything like that. It was. Uh-huh. 
a different sort of, you know, making jokes about the French. There's just so much material. Yeah. All right, and now it is time for our ratings. If things haven't been contentious enough, I think it's going to become more contentious. Okay. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, Martinis, 1 being Avengers 1997, and 10 being even better than No Time to Die, how are we rating Johnny English? All right. Go ahead, Zach. I, I want to hear this. So we recently covered the tuxedo, as I've mentioned a few times. So I found myself comparing it to the tuxedo, mm -hmm. which I gave a three and a half. Yeah. So the question is, is this better than the tuxedo? And I actually think that it is. Okay. Well, I like the characters in the tuxedo way, way more. I would come back to watch a tuxedo too. I would be less willing to come back and see a Johnny English too. But that being said, the story kept things moving. The villain was way better and it was made me laugh a lot more. Okay. That being said, it's still not a great movie. I will give it four out of 10 martinis. All right. I'll just to correct you, you gave the tuxedo three, not three and a half. Okay. Well, in that case, I'm happy with my rating even more so. Yeah. yeah. And, ooh, I, I think I also gave the tuxedo a three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I definitely enjoy this much more than I enjoyed the tuxedo. Rewatching this, um, mm -hmm. than rewatching the tuxedo. I'm actually looking at what I rated, like, other parodies, uh... For, like, I think I gave Austin Powers a six. I gave OSS a five and a half. Mm -hmm. And Get Smart, I gave a seven. Yeah. Well, Get Smart had a lot of good heart to it. Yeah. I'd say I'm going to give this a six and a half. I don't like it. I mean, actually, I might like it more than gets. I like Get Smart. I, at least on a rewatchability, mm -hmm. I think the jokes hit that. You know what? I'm changing it to a seven. <laughs> wow. Okay. You really liked it. I do. I've like I enjoyed. I've I've enjoyed this movie. Like I saw it in theaters. I and um, I remember. I I like this movie. I don't remember liking the the second one, but the third one I enjoy a lot. Right. But I I think in terms of just it just, it makes me laugh. I can have it. I've I've had this on in the background as I'm doing something else. Uh -huh. Just something that's I think is funny. I liked. This is. I'm not sure. We'll see how other people react to this. I think that the writers of Purvis and Wade made a better Bond movie in this than they did in Die Another Day. <laughs> okay, so you can dunk on Die Another Day. We don't like it when I do. Okay. No, I said no. You can. I said you can dunk on Die Another Day as much as you want. Just don't insult Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Well, okay. definitely not Tomorrow Never Dies or Warzone. <laughs> not enough for that matter. All right. But I mean, I enjoyed the character of Johnny as just a funny buffoon. Right. Yeah, as as a, you know, someone we could laugh at, but then he also he does still have a good heart inside of him. Yeah, it's talked about. We didn't really talk about it in the recap, but they're like he loves his country. Mm -hmm. It came a little late in the movie to have established that. <laughs> I mean, his name is literally Johnny English. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and if he didn't love his country, he maybe would have changed his name before by this point. Yeah, maybe. I enjoy it. I think more than I enjoy Get Smart, but I'm gonna give him the same score. Well, you like it for different reasons. Yeah. And I also appreciate this is a nice hour and a half runtime, 90 mm -hmm. minutes. It's nice. It's quick. Doesn't, yeah. you know, belabor the point. It's, it's, it's got very it. breezy. It makes its jokes and then it's gone. All righty. Well, thank you for joining us. You can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on our Redbubble store. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are the SpyFi Guys signing off.
Thank you for listening to The Spy-Fi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.